guys have a good week? I I am blessed to be back with you. Um, I think the first time you get to speak in main service is always good. There's those those great nerves and uh, things that cause you maybe to over-prepare and and continue to to go. And then, no matter what, when lots of people know you um, and they know that you work for the church so you're not going anywhere soon, they, they, hey, great job, hey, that was awesome, thanks. And then when they find out you come back for week two, they don't show up, so that's good. So if you guys were at last week and here, you are my favorite people besides the spies that are in the audience. You know, we'll just group you all together. Um, but I am blessed to be back here with you guys, and I just wanted to take a, a few minutes and tell you a little bit about my week um, since last Wednesday. Uh, as I was leaving the, the auditorium last week, the guys that run our sound and do the video, they were kind enough to hand me a CD uh, of the recording. And to my surprise, Kurt was able to fit the entire title on the CD, which was good. It was using our authority to move with compassion. That was a surprise, so thank you, Kurt. Um, and then once I actually found a place to play a CD, do you guys even know what those are? Do you guys? I know some of the kids in youth are like, nope, I have an iPhone. I don't know what a CD is, but uh, uh, my car still has one. I just haven't used it since I've had it for the past three years. But I found a place to play the CD, and I listened to it, and in that moment, I realized that technology is both a blessing and a curse, (laughs) right? I think you guys will understand what I mean, um, because I wanted to go back and see, you know, what was going on, and I got to learn a little bit. I listened, and I heard, and there was some good, and there was some bad, but I learned. And then I was super blessed to find out that Kurt actually is running the camera, that there is video evidence that last week took place. And, it, it, and in that moment, I realized, uh, man, I don't know if I want to watch this. You guys ever get a, go through YouTube or you see a link and it's like a train wreck or like a near misses and all that. And you're like, man, I shouldn't watch that. I really shouldn't click on it. Boop. Right? And we click on it. So that's what happened with me with the video from last week. And so thanks to our audio and video team, I was able to go back and, and, and look at some things. I looked at some of the good, some of the bad, and then thanks to the video, some of the ugly. Thanks, Kurt. I'm better on this side, so if you could just move the camera, that would be good. Uh, but, but I realized something. As soon as I saw the video, I was analyzing it, and, um, and I thought I had some direction on what I was going to speak tonight about. But after watching the video, I realized that um, that God was leading me to speak tonight about being confident, about faith-filled confidence. You know, when you, when you see yourself on tape and when you see and hear your voice on a, a CD, it's gross. <laughs> uh, you guys know what I mean. We've all left messages for people on their cell phones, and then you've heard them play back the message over the car speakers. You're like, that is not what I sound like, is it? And then your wife's looking at you and goes, mm-hmm exactly what you do sound like, and so I wanted to take time tonight to speak to us about faith-filled confidence, so if you're taking notes, that is going to be the title of the message. Um, I have two great hit, great kids, and uh, I take a lot of videos on my phone of them, and I'm con- very conscious of two things. One, I tend to breathe heavy. <sighs> You'll hear it on the recording. That was a real blessing as well, but when I videotape my kids, I've had to almost hold my breath because I'm so conscious of my breathing, and then... I almost wreck every video because it's me going, Chase, stop it. Carson, get over here. And I'm going, who is that guy just ripping in the background? Who is that? Like, what, what is that? I don't, 
I didn't think I sounded like a shrilling Disney villain, but apparently sometimes I do. Uh, and, and so we're going to talk about confidence. When I was in high school, uh, one of our favorite activities was singing karaoke. Uh, so much to the point that my house became the, the time that we hung out and we would sing karaoke. It was the, the late 90s, and so pop music was at its greatest generation ever with NSYNC and Backstreet Boys and everybody that I wanted to be, you know, with the blonde hair and... I was doing it, and it was so, so great. Karaoke was so great that one Valentine's Day I spent singing to my future wife on the karaoke machine, and then me and my little brother walked out with flowers with the, with the microphone. It was terrible. Uh, but we did it so often that one, one year my mom for my birthday bought me a wireless microphone, and that was just the game changer. And, uh, and I tell you this story because I had a buddy of mine. Now, I was, I was pretty confident, but I had, and I had a little bit of singing ability, but I had this buddy. And you guys have probably all been somewhere on vacation at a hotel when somebody has a microphone that shouldn't. My buddy, um, no singing ability, we'll call it subpar so we can be nice, but his confidence was just through the roof, and, and it was so bad that one time we actually recorded him <laughs> and played it back. And he'll argue to this day, he must be a lawyer because he was fighting pretty hard in high school, that it was not him on that recording, that he didn't, that's not what he sounded like. See, he had this picture of confidence and that the, the, the truth wasn't really what was helping him uh, to support that. So anyway, I, I tell you that because we are going to speak about confidence. And, and for my buddy's case and in my case, uh, it was something where I had never set out to sing and do anything you guys know. Um, if you've been around here a little bit of time, that I sing a little bit. Um, but, but it's something that has come with practice, development. My confidence in singing uh, wasn't always there. It started early in karaoke, uh, but that wasn't until high school. But it was something where, uh, when I knew there was weaknesses, now it might have been a song that uh, was going to be something I would sing to m- my future wife um, that was played on a boy band CD, but... If I, didn't, if I couldn't hit the note, if I couldn't do something, I would practice it. And I think so many times we get complacent in our, in our weaknesses or, or, or where we're not real strong. We just kind of let it go instead of working on it to help make that one of our strengths. So that was just a, a quick thing for you to not settle in your weaknesses or your shortcomings, but to work on them. So if you were here last week, you remember I made you two promises uh, and, I, and I believe I made good on both of them, so I'm going to make you two promises again this week. Number one, the Word of God is true, the Word of God is real, the Word of God is a blessing. If you pay attention tonight, if you are open to hear the Word of God, it will be a blessing. Amen? Amen. And number two, uh, as we speak about confidence tonight, if you choose to not only be a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word, as a, of the scriptures that we look at in, uh, in just general in life, if you choose to be a doer and not a hearer only, you will build and grow in faith-filled confidence. You guys ready? Uh, and a quick, quick extra nugget that I had in my notes for you. When, you. when you think you shouldn't click on the train wreck video, don't click on it. So I started off by telling you a little bit about my week. And, and I've had just the, the funnest week. And I think that's how God intended it. A life with Him is supposed to be full of adventure and fun. A lot of hard work. But the payout is great. And let me tell you a little bit, uh, a few more things that I did learn this week. I, 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 I learned that the gym is still not my favorite thing. I learned that C's candy is far better than the gym. And the in and out protein style is just not worth it. 
if you can't tell, I had a fun week preparing for the message tonight, and uh, it's, it's always great to get to get away and spend time uh, with the Lord, and when people in the office will actually let you shut your door and, uh, and get some time in to actually spend time with the Lord, and I get made fun of because I, I bought myself a candle and it smells really pretty, and I'm the only guy that's there, but I have a candle in my office. So, I, uh, in, in preparing for this message, I had been reading and feeding for, for a couple months because I knew that it was coming. And then Thursday and Friday, I sat down to write some notes, and it was good. Like, it, was, it had nothing to do with me. It was like spirit because it was like moving. It was easy. It was fluid. And I was like, man, this is, this is so good. This is going to be so good. And then uh, I flipped the page, and I started going. I was like, whoa, that wasn't very good. So I scratched it out and tried again. That wasn't very good. Scratched it out. And I'm like, man, what, what just flipped? And I'm going, God, all that stuff you gave me is really good, but it, it, it's not going to be long enough to get me past 7.30 on Wednesday night. And I don't want that to be week two because I don't think I'll get a chance to do it again for seven years. you know. And <laughs> And so what I realized in that moment is, is it was me trying to do it. I had taken what God had showed me and, and got it all out and then was in such a hurry to try to rush and complete because, you know, once Friday is over, it's the weekend, and then Wednesday comes up pretty quick the next week, and you're going, all right, I have main service Wednesday night. What, what am I going to teach on? So I had something really good, and if you, if you, you guys don't have to flip there, but in Psalm uh, 127, verse 1, it, it became very real to me this week. It says, except the Lord build the house... They labor in vain that build it. I now understand what that verse means. I, I had been preparing and, and, and going with the Lord. And, and then once that, that moment was kind of gone, I just kept trying to do it and, and scratching out. And I kid you not, I, I, I drew a red line in my notes. I drew a red line because I knew it's when it started not to be very good. I, when it started to be me, when I got my focus off God and, and what I wanted myself to look like up here and. And in my notes, it's in bold letters with a red underline. It says, good until here. Let it sit and come back. <laughs> and, and I had a bunch of ideas on where I wanted to go, and, and it just it wasn't working. So I stopped what I was doing, and, and I hopped in the car. And, uh, and if you guys were here on Sunday, Keith Hershey in the morning was just talking about getting your focus back on the Lamb. Getting your focus back on the goodness of God and just resting in that, just basking in that and how good God is. So I hopped in, hopped in the car, and it's beautiful back here in the canyon, you guys. Um, so I was just driving, and I had good worship music on. and was just singing and praying and going 30 miles an hour in a 55 and getting honked at because I'm just in amazement of the beauty that was around me. And the car that I was in only goes about 45 miles an hour. But I was just enjoying every single bit of it. The, the mountains, the, the, the guys riding their bikes. I'm like, man, that's uphill. That doesn't look fun, but good for you. Glory to God, you have legs to pedal the bike. Just every little thing. And I was trying, to, trying just to enjoy it and to take it in because I had just sat in my office laboring in vain to build a house. And so I'm, I'm now I'm like, okay, I'm going to get back focused on God. So I drive and I go back to Silverado Canyon where the gate goes and and I park and I get out and I'm doing all kinds of, you know, things that you would do by yourself, like walking around and dancing. And I'm a great dancer, just not when people are looking. And so I'm doing all that back in the canyon and, uh, and I'm just waiting, you know, I'm just, I'm waiting for this super awesome God download, right? Like 
okay, God said he'll build the house, so I'm just waiting to, to just get downloaded. And in my time there, as I was spending time back there in the canyon by myself, not really sure if the car was going to start again, um, God gave me something that I believe is for us all tonight. So uh, if you guys have your pens ready, get them out. I'm going to give you something that's going to blow your mind. It was two words that God gave me. Ready? Barbershop. Amen. Preach it. That's good, right? Okay, so I'll explain it to you because we know God's not a God of confusion. And, and as soon as I heard the words barbershop, I started laughing because in uh, that, and that just goes to show you that everything that God gives you is not always for everybody, right? I'm sure barbershop blessed you tons when I said that, but when, but when God gave it to me, it blessed me, and I knew exactly what He meant. So I started laughing, and um, and see, today I was scheduled to go to the barbershop. Now, God used this because it wasn't a normal trip for me to go to the barber shop. If you watch the video evidence back from last week, clearly I don't need a haircut. It's about as high and as tight it's ever been. I was at Islands with my kids, and a guy stopped and thanked me for my military service. But not kidding. I was honored, and my six-year-old thought it was hilarious. And so that became the inside joke for the next few days. So clearly I didn't need a haircut. <laughs> I was honored. <laughs> See, this wasn't a normal trip to the barbershop. I didn't, I didn't need a haircut, but there's something that I did need. And it was, it, sometimes we call it a trim or a, a, a quick cleanup. Right? I think they have it on there. Cleanup is, neck cleanup is free for, uh, for repeat customers. And so I went in because I needed to get some stuff cleaned up. And so that's what I knew God was showing me. Barbershop, cleanup. It doesn't mean anything to you, but I'll explain it. See, when I went back over the message last week... I, know, I noticed that there was a few things that I left that needed to be cleaned up. Not in a bad way, but in a great way. I realized that there were some things that I, I didn't ultimately all tie together. And so when God was showing me cleanup or barbershop, that word just blesses you. I can see it all over your faces. When God was showing me barbershop, it's because he wanted me to, to go back and look, to go back and look again, to go back and clean it up. So last week, and this is kind of where we'll go, flip back uh, to Matthew 14. We looked at using our authority to move with compassion. That was the title last week. And we spent most of our time in Matthew 14. So let's pick up real quick. We'll do a small recap and then we'll get running. In, In verse 13, Jesus heard of it. He departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, we took time to break apart this passage. This is where we spent most of our time, but we broke it apart. We looked at two main things. We looked at first by what authority Jesus did these things. How he was able to heal these people, uh, heal the multitude, how he was able to provide for them. And then we looked at what caused him to do these things. What, uh, more specifically, when the Bible says move with compassion, what was that? So we established that Jesus used the authority that God gave man all the way back in Genesis 1. I took you guys back there to the beginning. We looked at when Jesus set aside his heavenly powers and came to earth just like us. Uh, and then we saw him use his authority to move with compassion. I'll remind you real quick of Pastor Mike's quote that I just fell in love with. Every work Jesus has ever done is an example of God's mercy in action. And I realized that 
uh, after listening back and seeing the video, uh, that what I, what I may have left you with last week, and it wasn't my intent, but I may have left you thinking that if you just tried harder, that if you just prayed harder, that if you just got down on your knees and scrunched up and effectively, fervently prayed harder, that that's what I, that that's what I meant by moving with compassion, and, and that wasn't it. That that's what I meant by effectual, fervent prayer. Uh, and that's not what I meant. So I left out one uh, piece of the puzzle that I wanted to make sure we came back and cleaned up tonight. Barbershop. Flip to Galatians 5, and this will help tie us all together and kick us off and get us running. We're going to start, uh, look at verse 6. This is Paul writing to the church. And at the end of verse 6, he gives us uh, kind of the key that ties this week and last week together. Why Jesus was able to move with compassion and uh, why, when he moved with compassion uh, uh, and used his authority, that it worked. And I think I, I may have implied this last week, but didn't point it out. So, so let's look at the end of verse 6, and just those last kind of five words. Faith which worketh by love. Now, side note, when you're using Bible Gateway to look up a verse you're familiar with, King James uses all kinds of weird things like worketh and cometh and thouest and doest and all of that thing. So search a new King James and you'll find it, and then you can go to the translation that you're most familiar with. But faith which worketh by love. See, you can use your authority to move with compassion because faith works. Isn't it good that faith works? Amen. But we see right here that faith works by love. Faith works by love. Your authority works when you move in compassion because you are using your faith in love. And that was the component that I, that I implied but kind of left out last week. So I wanted to tie that up for us. And, uh, you know, and if you remember last week, I talked about when I, when I went to the, the cabinet looking for Advil. You guys remember that story? And I went to the cabinet looking for Advil. I, you know, commanded my headache to leave on the way, but, uh, but there was no love there. So how could I expect faith to work when there was no love behind it? I just went and grabbed the Advil. And, and, our, and I think we, I said this last week, but a lot of times we speak or we pray things with no love behind them. And uh, you guys, love is a matter of the heart. It's, it's easy to fool this world. It's easy to, to fool somebody in high school that you asked to prom. Um, it's easy to fool people that are carnal and sometimes even Christians uh, into, into feeling love. It's easy to fool them, but, but love is a matter of the heart. And it's, it's not something that you can fake and you can counterfeit when you're walking with God. It's not something that you can fake or counterfeit and expect to have uh, activate your faith to work. Faith works by love. Fake love does not get results in the matters of authority and faith. You can't fake out God on the topic of love. Why? Because in 1 John 4, 8, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 16, just a few verses later. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwells in God, and God in him. You guys, this, this gives us some insight. This gives us some insight as to why uh, we don't see Jesus having what the church world today calls faith failures, right? I, I think we've probably all at some point been guilty of using that term. And, and what we're really looking at is, is we don't have to see Jesus ever have a faith failure because Jesus' entire walk, entire life was an act of love. Jesus always walked in love. And if Jesus always walked in love and faith works by love, guess what? Jesus' faith always worked. That's good, right? 
Jesus dwelled always in love, in God, and God in him. And I wish I could say that, that I always operate in love. And uh, I think we, for the most part, we try our best. Uh, if you are getting high and mighty on me and think that you always operate in love, I, I will tempt you to go take a beautiful drive in our Southern California traffic on any given afternoon. Let me, uh, uh, my love walk was tested very strongly yesterday. Uh, I had picked up my, my six-year-old from school and uh, I was getting on the 133 and I had, you know, a quarter mile to get over three lanes and I made the first two and I was now up to speed using my blinker and going the speed limit and the cars are just flying by in the left lane and I'm like, uh-oh, we gotta go, we gotta go. And so this Mustang, it was blue, he flew by. And then I saw this white Mercedes SUV. Now, if you have a white Mercedes SUV, I love you, but not everybody that drives them represents you very well. <laughs> and I saw him coming a long ways away, and I'm like, nope, I gotta go. So I made it, and the guy, you know, breaks and honks, and, and I do one of these. Right? And in the, I said it quietly to myself in the car, but I'm, I said, what do you want? Right? And, and thank goodness my six-year-old is just admiring my high and tight haircut and, and, and oblivious to this. But in that moment, I'm thinking, tomorrow night, you're teaching at church. And in this moment, you're teaching on last week on the, the mercy and the compassion of, of the Lord. And, and this week, you know, we're going to be a little bit along the same lines. And here we are throwing your hands up at somebody. And, and I didn't give any bad gestures. It wasn't like that. And, and, and it was more just in disgust, like, bro, you're bad. Right? It was his fault. He was speeding. But, but how many times do we do that? We just, just casually, there we go. We're out of love already. What a great example for my... My, my six-year-old, right? But, and I, and, I, and I told my dad, my dad, uh, I love my dad, and he came over this morning knowing that I was speaking tonight, and he had a joke in his hand. So, Dad, I'm going to do this joke just for you. <laughs> and I think it goes something like this. Um, and and it'll, it ties in because of my experience yesterday, but uh, the, the joke goes something to this effect, and I'm not very good at telling jokes, so if I butcher it, I'm sorry. You can Google it later and find the real version. But uh, there's two cars going down the road, and one car's going kind of slow, like me yesterday, and the light turns yellow, and the car stops in plenty of time to watch it physically turn red right there in front of them, and the, the car behind them is honking, slamming on the brakes, and just yelling and all this stuff, and, and pretty soon you hear the cop car, sir, get out of the car. He's got his gun drawn, and, uh, and he gets the guy out of the car and cuffs him and throws him in the back of the cop car and takes him down and processes him. A couple hours later, the cop goes to the holding cell and opens the door, and he goes, I am so sorry, sir. He goes, you know, I noticed the car, you had the Jesus fish on there. You know, in case of rapture, this car is unmanned. You know, Jesus on board stickers, all this stuff, and just, I figured that the car must have been stolen. I told you I'm not good at telling jokes. But I think it's, it's one of those things where we do, we're supposed to walk in love in everything that we do, and, and it's always supposed to be an example like Jesus of always walking in love, but we go in and out in these examples so easily day to day. So, Dad, that is my joke for you that bombed, but I love you and I honored you with the joke. And I think it's a good example because maybe not to that extreme, but my love walk was tested yesterday. Your love walk was tested yesterday. I'm sure it was tested today. Uh, if you want to test it, go take a drive or hang out with my kids and try to put them to bed. They'll test you every single night. Uh, 
But, but I, I, this is the point I wanted to make, is that I don't always operate in love. And if faith works by love, is it a surprise that sometimes I don't get the answers that I'm looking for? If faith works by love and I'm not always walking in love, and I'm praying for something and I'm not always walking in love, and if faith works by love, should I be surprised if I don't get the answer that I was looking for? We sing a song that, that, that God's answers or Jesus' answers is always yes and amen, and that's, that's great, but it's when you ask according to His will. So if you're not asking, if you're not praying in love, you're not standing in faith according to God's will, what are you expecting to, to hear? What are you expecting to, to, to receive or to, to, to hear answered? This was a, a good timing for, for this message. We just came out of growth groups that we talked about last week. And in our growth group, we talked specifically about, um, it was overcoming offense, but we talked specifically about um, unforgiveness towards other people and how that un- unforgiveness, that unforgiveness that you're hosting is you not walking in love. So if you're not walking in love in that area, how can we expect answers if faith works by love? And we all agree that faith works by love. That's what the Bible says. So how did, do, how did Jesus do the miracles that we read about in Matthew last week? How did he heal? How did he provide? He worked his faith by love. Used his authority, moved with compassion. He had faith in God that he would provide, that he would heal. You guys know this verse, Romans ten seventeen. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Jesus knew the word. We covered this last week. Jesus knew the word. He had, he had studied it since he was a kid. He had taught it. He had faith that God is who he says he was, that he was a healer or provider in these cases. And he had faith that he had been given the authority of man in Genesis 1. He had faith. He used his authority, and he walked in love always. So last week, we, we, we kind of left off there, and we're going to pick up right there again and continue on. So just as a quick recap, Matthew 14, verse 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed by ship into the desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, This is a desert place. And the time is now past. Send the multitude away, that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals, food. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give, them, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring them here to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. That's it. As I was reading that this week, I just got a quick picture of, of Jesus telling us to go out into the world, right? Jesus tells his disciples, and they're supposed to go. In this case, Jesus gives the disciples what the people need, and they're the ones that pass it out. That's a picture of us being the hands and feet of Jesus. Verse 20, and they did all eat, and, and I made notes here, it says the disciples did as well. They did all eat and were filled, and they took up the fragments of that remained, 12 baskets full. I think it's important to know that God takes care of you when you're about the Father's business. Verse 21, then they, when they had eaten, there were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's where we left off, so we're going to continue verse 22 uh, and really kind of take off on, uh, on the branch for tonight. Straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain apart to pray. 
And when the evening was come, he was there alone. You guys, we started talking about this last week. This is the setting of this whole thing took place because Jesus wanted to go get away. His cousin had just been murdered and Jesus just wanted to get away. And when he got there, the multitude showed up. We used this illustration last week to, uh, to talk about not letting our own needs or the things that we're currently standing for, uh, believing God for, not letting that get in the way of us moving with compassion or applying our faith by love um, towards other people. And what I think is interesting is Jesus still took time to help and, and do what those people needed to do, but he still didn't forget to go spend time with God. A lot of us, we get through the work week and we get through a, a work day and we had every intention to wake up early that morning and spend time with the Lord, but, but our three-year-old got out of bed at four in the morning and wanted to cuddle. She's cute and I love it, but I didn't wake up early to read my Bible that day. Then all of a sudden we're now at work and then uh, we, we purpose that night to, to read the Bible or to go to the gym and we don't do either one because something else comes up. And I think all of a sudden we go to bed and the day's over. Right? It's a great example right here of your day-to-day activities and even unexpected activities that Jesus didn't forget to set, a time, set aside time to spend with his heavenly Father. Amen? Jesus sends the disciples and the people away, and what does he do? In verse 23, goes up to the mountain alone to pray. I think it's interesting that after, after all this, after moving and serving so tirelessly the, the people there, after they went away, he still took time to go dwell with the Father to get alone with God, to dwell in the love of the Father, to dwell in love, to be recharged, just to feed on the goodness of God like Keith talked about, to dwell in love because God is love. Jesus had just given his time and his love, and then it was given right back to him. I love that we can trust that as we give, and it's, it's better to, to give than to receive, but as we give, that God's always going to bless us back. Amen. What a great time of refreshing this must have been just to get alone, get up on the mountain, uh, probably had a good view other than it was dark. I don't know what kind of city lights they had or how bright a candle shines. I know cameras, Jeep lights can go for miles, but I don't know about the candles that they had at this time. But just to get alone, to, to thank God for the great things that he had just seen and just been part of, to, to the provision that God had just done for the people, the healings that God had just done. He just took time to get alone and to pray and to thank and to be with his heavenly father. And, and we can see just from what happened that it must have been a good time of recharging and replenishing because what happens next is pretty awesome. He'd gone away, ended up moving with compassion, giving of himself, went up to be alone to pray, and after a few hours, and I made a note here, it says, you mean we have to pray for hours? And I said, nope, you don't have to, but you get to. That's how our relationship with God should be. It's not a have to do anything, but it's a get to. It's a get to walk in the authority that God has provided for us. It's a get to be part of the miracles. It's a get to spend time with your Heavenly Father. Could you imagine? I'm longing the day when my, when my teenagers, they're six and three now, they go, Dad, do we have to hang out with you? Right? Like, I don't, that's not fun. That's not how God wants it to be. I want my kids to, wait, to be there with me at four in the morning snuggling. I'll take that time and I'll make that time, but I want them to be there. And that's how God sees us. He doesn't make you do anything. You're a grown-up. He's not going to make you do it, but he wants you to be there. It's your, it's your privilege and your honor and your right to get to go sit and bask in the love of your Heavenly Father. So we know Jesus is getting charged up. You don't have to go pray, but that's what Jesus did. And you can see something cool pretty happens. He goes down, decides to come down from the mountain and go for a walk. Verse 23. 
And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea. This is where he sent the disciples, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. So Jesus goes down the mountain, down to the beach, figures, I'm I'm not going to stop here, just keep going. Just goes out walking on the water, and that beats uh, working out on the treadmill at any time of the day. Verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, notice they saw him, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spoke, notice that he spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus Verse 30, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they came into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were there in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. I made a quick note that when God pulls you out of a dire situation, uh, the result should be worshiping Him. Amen? Uh, and I love this story, and I love it even more this week, and here's why. I wanted to jump all around the Bible to try to find out uh, what, what I thought you needed to hear tonight or, or things like that. And I was laboring in vain, and God simply said, Barbershop. He directed me to go clean up a few things from last week, and then uh, He knew that that would land us right here, right here in this story that we just read. And As I got some direction on this, I just started enjoying my time with the Lord more and more. Um, God is the God of more than enough. Amen. And in in, in this instance, I was laboring in vain to build a house. So I gave it back to God. And then he took me out to the forest and said, you pick the wood. He said, see all these trees, you pick them. And so I was left at this point yesterday just reading in my Bible. And everything was so good. And I was going page to page. And God reminded me of this story and that story. And I'm like, this is all so good. Pastor Mike needs to stay on vacation. <laughs> and that, we know that that's not going to happen, but I think it's so cool that, that God said, look, you had trouble. I had trouble getting out three sentences and would scratch them out and put them back down. And then finally just put the pen down. And when you go and you seek and you spend time with God, then this overabundance, the God of more than enough, pours out to where I had to close my Bible and walk away. God's that good. Because my mind couldn't contain anymore. You guys don't want to be here till 9 o'clock. And so we're going to spend the rest of this evening, and not too much longer, but right here in Matthew 14, and share kind of what the Lord has been showing me and revealing to me uh, through this passage. And I think if we all uh, wrote ourselves into the Bible narrative, if we all picked a disciple that, that we honestly looked at and thought we were probably mostly like, it would probably be Peter other than some of us that would just say, nope, we're the one that God loves the most, right? That's who I am. But I think if we honestly looked at it, we'd probably mostly relate to Peter, the highs and the lows, uh, sometimes getting it right, sometimes missing it completely. I've never had Jesus say, get behind me, Satan, and I'm not wishing that on anybody. But, But we can see that sometimes he missed it, and he got overzealous sometimes and was so excited to do it, and sometimes that he missed it, and Uh, even to the point of denying Jesus or being bold, such hot and cold, depending on the people, the circumstance, and the company that he was around. Check out verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, 
bid me come unto the water. And I made a note that they could see him, they could hear him, but Peter wanted one more piece of confirmation. He wanted the third strike and then he'd get out of the boat. Uh, And how many of us are like that? We know what the word says. The word says to go, to preach the gospel. We know that the word says we have authority, but we're always waiting for just one more thing. God, you know, if the guy holding the sign looks at me, I'll give him $20. (laughs) Right? It's not just me, but we're always looking for one more thing. Okay, make the fleece wet. Okay, now make the ground wet. Okay, I'm out of fleeces. What else can we do? And And we start going step by step by step, trying to look for one more step of confirmation. I think it's funny, and God reminded me of the story in Matthew 4. I'll make you go there, but it's when Jesus first meets Peter. Jesus, uh, in Matthew chapter 4, is walking by the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two brothers. One of them's Peter. So he saw them, and they saw him, and, uh, and then he said unto them, Follow me. Let me just read it so I don't mess it up. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting that into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. In this case, it's, it's almost like in Matthew 14, we see a repeat scenario. He saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, and he decided to follow him uh, when Jesus called. And, I, and it was just a familiar story to me. So when we go back to Matthew 14, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And and I love the way that Jesus responded because sometimes when we cry out to the Lord or we ask the Lord for something, we want these big, long sentences and paragraphs and uh, messages for Wednesday nights. And he gives you one word and he says to Peter, he says, come. To me in the canyon the other day, he said, barbershop. And I think it's, we're always looking for these big, miraculous or these big, long, squishy, squishy feeling sentences to make us feel better. And all Jesus had to do was say, come. And, and you and I both know that with one word, God can change an entire situation. Verse 29, Peter gets out of the ship and walks on the water. Uh, it, was the one, it was one word, come, that caused him to step out from the ordinary into the impossible and supernatural. In this moment, he was doing what Jesus told him he could do. He was doing what Jesus was doing, what he physically saw Jesus doing. And in verse 30, has to be one of the worst words in the Bible. Um, verse 30 starts with it. It's the worst word ever. It's but. But from, uh, I just had but, and it says, for many of us, buts are the problem. I wanted to help, but. I wanted to be there, But. I wanted to pray for that guy, but I wanted to walk on the water, but I wanted to be like Jesus and do what he was doing, but I told you we're like Peter sometimes. Our butts are the problem. Verse 30, Peter walking on the water, but when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And and it's interesting. Peter had been in plenty of storms before. We see at the end of, uh, after Jesus is resurrected and Jesus shows up on the shore, Peter jumps out of the boat and swims to him so we know the guy can swim. So this wasn't an unfamiliar circumstance to him, but he saw the wind boisterous. He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. And, And Pastor Mike has touched on this before, but in this verse, when it mentions he saw the wind, uh, I wanted to go back and look at that because what it, what, it, what it's saying is he physically saw it. And the wind was there before, so he had seen it before. So that was nothing new. But it, what that word also means is that he mentally acknowledged it and started paying attention to it. 
He paid attention. <laughs> and I made this note because I do this all the time. Uh, you can, to be effective, you usually can only pay attention to one thing at a time. If you don't believe me, try to talk to somebody face-to-face and text message at the same time. It will annoy the other person and your text message will be all over the place. But you can only pay attention to one thing at a time. So when it says that, that Peter saw, it means he started paying attention to the wind and the waves. It was nothing new. He had been in storms before, but in this case, he lost focus of Jesus and started paying attention to the wind and the waves. And it's easy to be like Peter. I think we can be like Peter. We get excited, we get charged up, and we want to step out and move with God, and it's working. And we're almost surprised that it's working. We start to lose focus. We start to pay attention to other things. We, We apply the word and we act on it, and uh, and things are actually going how they're supposed to. And, uh, and, I, and I made this example because it's happened to me at work before. We're being diligent at work. We're being faithful with our, with our money, with our tithes. And, uh, and God is blessing us. And then we start to notice other things. We start to pay attention to other things. We, we pay attention to the guy driving the new car. We pay attention to the people moving into the bigger house. We start to lose focus. We get our eyes off of Jesus and start to focus on the other things and we start to sink. In this verse, Peter took his focus off Jesus. And I think it's easy to to do that a lot of times when things are going well. In this case, Peter was doing something impossible and it was going well. He was walking on water and then he started paying attention to something else. And my favorite part, I think, of this whole thing is when when he began to sink... I love what he says when he, when he started to sink. He says, Lord, save me. See, in his moment of need, he wasn't looking back to the boat. He wasn't looking to the people on the boat. He wasn't looking to the other disciples to come to his rescue. He was simply crying out to Jesus. He said, Jesus, save me. And you guys know this word, save. Anybody have any guesses what word this is? Sozo, right? And, and we're familiar with this word. So he's saying, Lord, rescue me. Make me safe. Make me sound. Make me whole. Get me out of here. I love this, and I think Jesus loves, loves this wording as well, and not because he was happy to see Peter sinking. It might have been kind of funny, but, but I don't think he was happy that Peter was sinking, uh, but I think it's interesting to look at Peter's proclamation uh, when he's sinking. We see it a summary of Jesus' entire purpose of being here on the earth. Jesus saved me, sozo me, in Luke 19.10. It says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And that word there is sozo. So Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And Peter's with Jesus in this moment, and he cries out, Jesus saved me. Now, usually we don't think of it as when you're with Jesus, you need to be saved. So it had me, it had me dive into this word sozo a little bit more, because he's saying, Jesus saved me. And what, and what I found is part of the meaning of sozo is not just to make safe or to make sound or to make whole, but it's to keep you that way. Sozo is to keep safe, to keep sound. See, Peter was already found by Jesus. He was, he was already saved, but, but part of what Jesus came to do, if Luke 19.10 is correct, and if sozo means what they meant it to mean, it's not only find them, but to keep them safe and to keep them sound. And I likened it to this. To seek and to save. To find, to save, to keep safe. A shepherd is meant to find and continually protect the sheep. See, Jesus came not just to heal you, 
He came that you could walk in divine health. He came not only to forgive your sins, but to give you a life where you could live in righteousness. He came to find you, to keep you. He came to sozo you. Peter comes out on the water. He's focused on Jesus and he gets distracted. And when he gave attention to the other things, he starts to sink. And and when trouble hit, he knew exactly where to look. Make a note of this. Don't have to flip there. But Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2. I will lift my eyes up unto the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord. And I love this because it's, it's not to himself. Peter's not looking to himself because we know he can swim, but he's not looking to himself to save him in this situation. He's not looking back at the boat and he's not looking to the other people to come to his rescue. He knew that he needed to fix his eyes back on Jesus. My help comes from the Lord. I want to make this point. It's important to have good people around you but they're not the ones that sozo you. They're not the ones that are going to keep you super strong. The word and faith in the word, the faith in Jesus is what's going to keep you there. Jesus came to sozo you. If you rely on other people, they'll let you down. Surround yourself with great people so that happens less and less frequently, but don't rely on them to save you. Focus on Jesus. My help comes from the Lord. Jesus saved me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and he caught him. I love it that when you get your focus, when you get your attention back on Jesus, when you get your eyes back on him, he is there immediately. I love this verse because sometimes when I fail or when we fail, we feel like we're super far away from Jesus. And in this instance, we see Peter failing But Jesus never bailed on him. Peter failed and all it took was him to get his attention back on Jesus and Jesus was there immediately. When doubt was winning, when fear was there, he knew where to call. Jesus was still there and he'll always be there. Notice what Jesus says next, verse 31. Immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, where didst Thou doubt. One of those weird words. Where did you doubt? Why did you doubt? And that word wherefore, it's almost like when we were writing reports as kids. Who, what, when, where, why? Five W's? I count right? Five. How's not a W? But that word wherefore, who did you doubt? What did you doubt? Why did you doubt? Thou of little faith, why did you doubt? See, we, we look at this story and we think, oh, Peter, poor guy, he just, he just didn't have enough faith. I've never tried to step out on the water and I don't think I really want to go head-to-head with Peter in a competition of who has more faith. This guy died for his faith. This guy goes on to do miracles, working his faith by love. Little faith, let's not, let's not compare. But check this out. Jesus says, thou of little faith, and, and I think it's interesting because if you flip to Matthew 17, in Matthew 17, you'll recognize this passage because it's where Jesus tells them the amount of faith that's required to move a mountain. You know the story. The man brings his son to the disciples and they fail to cast the demon out. And then in verse 19, they're asking Jesus why. Verse 19, Matthew 17, verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could we not cast him out. And Jesus said unto him, because of your unbelief, 
For verily I say unto you, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. I think we usually read a different uh, gospel account of this that reads a little easier, but you, you see where I'm going. We see in this moment, and according to what Jesus says, he says, if you had any faith, if you had any faith, then the mountain would move. So what he's inferring is in this, in this moment, they didn't have any faith. That was something new that I had to look at this week. Jesus says, if you have faith, that means they didn't have it. Or what would he be contrasting? He's telling them, all you need is a little bit. And they ask, why could we not cast them out? And he says, because of your unbelief. Remember that word unbelief and flip back over to Matthew 14, verse 31. Jesus said, O thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? And in, in these two few pages from each other, we have two examples of the disciples failing to do what Jesus said they could do. And we have two very clear reasons why. In both instances, we see that it was doubt and unbelief. The doubt, uh, d- doubt and unbelief were present, and Jesus said it, that that's what it was, and why it didn't work. Why did you doubt? Why were you filled with unbelief? And apparently, doubt, unbelief, and faith cannot coexist. You can't be having both at the same time. You can't be paying attention to doubt and unbelief and be paying attention to faith. Where's your focus? Notice in both cases, the disciples, the both cases of doubt and unbelief, what was the next step? What did they do next? When it wasn't working, what did they do? In Matthew 17, they bring the boy to Jesus and the father cries out, Jesus, have mercy. Matthew 14, we see Peter call out to Jesus, save me. So here's my question. If Jesus is where the disciples turned to in both instances, if Jesus is where they went to when doubt and unbelief crept in, then answer this, what did they doubt or in what did they have unbelief? This was something that, that, that the Lord put on my heart this week and it's not that they're doubting Jesus or that they're unbelieving Jesus because if that was the case, they wouldn't have brought or they wouldn't have called out to Jesus, Jesus, save me. They didn't have faith that Jesus could save him. He wouldn't have called out. If they didn't have faith that Jesus could heal the little boy, they wouldn't have brought him to him. So again, if not Jesus, what were they doubting? I believe God showed me this this week as I was struggling with my own confidence. As I was listening to my voice and my inflections and noticing that I crunched my forehead a lot. When I was lacking confidence in myself after last week's message, I believe God brought me right here to this story. See, I'm like, I'm like Peter in this aspect, and I think if you were honest with yourself, you would be too. If not like Peter, then pick any of the other disciples that were in unbelief in Matthew 17. See, if I asked you right now, do you believe that Jesus can heal someone? Do you believe that Jesus has power and authority to do that? If I asked you to raise your hands, don't do it. If I asked you to raise your hands, I bet every hand in here would shoot up. But, there's that big old ugly but again. If I asked you, do you believe that you can heal someone? If I asked you, do you believe that you have the same authority to do that? There'd be a few more questions and not as many hands. It's the same reason Peter started to sink. It's the same reason the disciples couldn't cast out the demon-possessed boy. It's the same reason that you and I hesitate to step out and move with our authority now. It's doubt and unbelief, but it's not doubt and unbelief that Jesus can do it. It's doubt and unbelief that we can actually do what Jesus said. That all power and authority has been given unto us. See, we're not doubting Jesus because we've seen him do it. 
The disciples had seen him do it. They saw Jesus walking on the water. The faith wasn't a lack of faith or unbelief or doubt wasn't in the ability of Jesus, but it was in the ability of themselves to do what Jesus had told them that they could do. In Peter's case, Jesus said, come to him on the water. He didn't doubt Jesus, but he doubted that he could do it. The disciples had been commissioned to cast out demons. They'd seen Jesus do it. They didn't doubt that he could do it. They doubted that they could do what Jesus said. You and I, we've been commissioned. We know the Bible says that we can do the works of Jesus. We know it says we have authority over all the earth. We saw that last week in Genesis 1. We know the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in us. We know that we are more than conquerors. We believe that Jesus can do all of those things. We believe believe that Jesus is all of those things that he told us that we are. But we have doubts, we have unbelief that we can actually be and actually do the things that Jesus said that we could. See, our doubt's not in Jesus. It's our doubt comes when we start looking at how well we know ourselves. How qualified we feel. How scared we are to try. Flip to Galatians 2. See, one of my favorite parts about both of these stories is that Jesus didn't pick these guys based on their qualifications. He didn't need them to be anything but willing to go and willing to believe. See, you're not qualified based on your job, your income, where you live, your heritage, your race. That's not what you are qualified on. You're qualified simply because of the blood of Jesus. Likewise, we do the works not based on our own qualifications, but based on the blood of Jesus. Be not afraid, only believe. Sometimes we lack confidence. We lack the confidence to believe that we're actually made in the image of Christ. Sometimes we lack confidence that we have the authority to do the things of Jesus. We lack confidence that we're called to be like Him and do the things that He did. And we hear a lot about this term, especially nowadays with depression and suicide. We hear a lot about the lack of self-confidence. People all over the world, people, uh, young people are especially affected. They're so confused and, and not a lot of strength as they're being brought up that they're so confused and they don't know who they are, so they have a lack of self-confidence. It's not just kids. I know as adults we can too, right? Big or little, a lot of us struggle with confidence. If you're struggling with, with that, I hope that this blesses you. Um, can I take the whole issue of self-confidence right off the table? When the disciples got into a discussion about who is the best, Jesus lets them know it's not about them. And I believe he wants you to know the same thing. It's not about you. Self-confidence is an issue with God. It's not even something that he has to worry to take time to try to, to, try to talk about or discuss. And it's all wrapped up here. And, and make these notes. Don't flip there because we're out of time. Proverbs fourteen twenty six: In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children so have a place of refuge. Proverbs 326, for the Lord shall be thy confidence and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Psalms 118, verse 8, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And I made a note, it's because in the previous verses he said he would keep you, that he would be your confidence. So if, if the Lord is your confidence, why would you ever try to place your confidence in yourself or in a man, in the people around you? When you get focused on being confident in you, it leaves plenty of room for doubt and for unbelief. 
but, and this is a good but, when you place your confidence, your trust, your faith, your self-value in the Lord to the one where your help comes from, the one where you lift your eyes up to in time of need, He lifts you up from going under. And and I want you to see the stark contrast because uh, after the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit, you see that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and their confidence is now not self-confidence, but it's Christ-confidence. You have guys that, like Peter specifically, that were, were willing to deny Jesus as he went to the cross, but now he's willing to follow Jesus to the cross. The Bible doesn't give record, but scholars say that he was crucified upside down. Mark, is that right? I read that in the Bible somewhere. But this is the same guy that denied Jesus, the same guy that sunk in the water due to lack of faith, followed his faith all the way to the end. Why? Because he replaced his self-confidence, his doubt, his unbelief in himself that he could do the things of Jesus, and he went right to Galatians 2, verse 20. This is how we, we can know that we can be confident. We can know that we can do the work of Christ. We can, we can know why we don't have to have doubt and unbelief, why we don't have to lack self-confidence. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, when you understand that it's now Christ that lives in you, you get rid of your own self-confidence issues. It's no longer you. It's Christ in you. Christ lives in me. The Holy Spirit, Christ in you. It's no longer self-confidence, but Christ's confidence. And, and I love this because in the two instances before when we looked at Peter in Matthew 4 and then Matthew 14, he waits for Jesus to tell him to come. He waits for Jesus to tell him to come. Then if you look, I think it's at the end of John, Jesus shows up on the, sh- on the shore after his resurrection. And I mentioned this earlier. They're out fishing because Peter wanted to go fishing. And John turns to Peter and goes, I think that's Jesus. And Peter puts his clothes on and dives in the water. Jesus didn't have to tell him to come because now his confidence was in Christ. It wasn't in himself. Because now it's Christ in you, not you in you. (laughs) Lift your eyes up to the hills. Focus on the one where your help comes from. My help comes from the Lord's, from the Lord. Get your butts, (laughs) your excuses. Get yourself out of the way. Cast your doubts, your fears, and your worries unto Jesus, for it's him that lives in you, and he can handle it. With Christ in you, you can run to Jesus on the water. You can cast out the demons. Christ confidence. And I'll read one last note that I made. When he calls you to step out, focus on him. The situation and circumstances around you do not matter. When he calls you out, when he calls you to do something, Jesus is the word made flesh. And when the word tells you to do something, have confidence that you can do it. Place your faith and confidence in him. Be Christ confident because Christ lives in you.
Do the works that he called you to do because he is with you. Christ in you. He is your confidence. It's not of you, it's of him. Christ lives in you. And when you focus on that and keep your eyes on him, when you pay attention to that, that's how you live a life, faith-filled confidence. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this night, for, for your word and how we can read the same story over and over. And God, you are so big and so great and the God of more than enough that the illustrations of Peter walking on the water will never run out because you have new things for us in it every single time. Thank you that your word is true, that we can have confidence in you and who you called us to be because it's you that lives in us. That we, when we walk about filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're willing to work our faith by love, when we're willing to extend our love towards others in faith, that you back us up because it's you that does it. We're just vessels used of and by you, God, and we are honored to be that. Help us to get out of self-confidence and have a life that's filled with Christ-confidence. We praise you, God. We thank you uh, for Pastor Mike and, and his family. We gladly welcome them home this Sunday and just bless them as they come back. And Spirit speaks super loud. Minister to him everything that he needs, refreshing, strength, boldness. Continue to pour into him Christ confidence. We love you, Father. We thank you for this church and for this night. If you can agree with that, would you say amen? You guys, it's been my honor to be with you the past two weeks. I hope, I hope tonight I at least kept one of my promises that, uh, that the word of God is always a blessing, that the word of God is always true, and when you stand on it, we can have the confidence of Christ. And the second one is up to you. The promise I made you at the beginning that if you're a doer of the word, if you can live a life of faith-filled confidence, that's up to you. Guys, we have authority to do so. Jesus has told us to do so. So let's have confidence that it's him that lives in us so we can do the things that he's called us to do. Amen. We love you. Join us back here on Sunday. Pastor Mike will be here at 9.30. Be here at 9.25 so we have a full house to start worship. It's encouraging to us. We love you guys so much. Thanks again for having me. Have a great week and see you Sunday.